Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. To those of you who are here in the sanctuary and up in the balcony, good morning. To those in the commons, to those of you who are at home, and to those in warmer climates, we welcome you this morning to First Baptist Church. And would you please turn with me in your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. We're going to be going through verse 31. And we are in a sermon series entitled, The Fullness of of life. And it comes from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not a, not a less life, a mediocre life, uh, an abundant life that is fruitful, that is victorious. It's marked by overcoming. And so far, we have looked at several key elements of this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ. We talked about the John 15 passage where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, which led into the fruit of the Spirit. And we have been camped out in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talking about the gifts of the Spirit, a topic so important. It's mentioned 155 different verses in the Scriptures And the Apostle Paul, right here in the heart of 1 Corinthians, takes three chapters to talk about it. And why does Paul give so much attention to these spiritual gifts? Because we will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise all the gifts that God has given to us. These gifts are necessary and important for you to be who God has uniquely created you to be. It's true for us as individuals, and it is also true for us as a church. Spiritual gifts are a key element to us as individuals and as a church living and experiencing a full or abundant life. And so we define spiritual gifts like this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. Special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. And when these are exercised biblically, here's the result. And this is why we get so excited about spiritual gifts. When this happens, God is glorified, the church is edified, good triumphs over evil, and believers live fuller, abundant lives. Anybody interested in that? So that's why we take the time to unpack these important verses in the scriptures. And among these spiritual gifts, there is much variety. We've been camping out on that. Meant to operate in unity, like the Trinity, and, as we saw last week, like the human body. Much variety meant to operate in unity, like the Trinity and like the human body. And as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, the human body is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite metaphors for the church. He loves to come back to it and say, you're the body of Christ. He also uses it in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, and Ephesians 3, 6. And the overwhelming point that he attempts to make with this metaphor of the church being the human body is that just as every part in the human body has an important role to play for the health of the whole, so it is in the church, the body of Christ. Each one of you are an essential part of the human body. One body, 
many parts, each with an important role to play. And in today's text, Paul takes this discussion a step further by focusing on this. He, he wants to tell us today about God's part and your part in spiritual gifts. God's part and your part in spiritual gifts. And so I'm going to ask if you would please stand with me as I read today's text. It is only four verses. I think it's important that we do this on a regular basis. I think it simply demonstrates our reverence and respect for God's authoritative word in our lives. And so it says this in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this journey that we are on together I feel like it is uh, so foundational, important for us taking next steps together as a church family. And so would you open our hearts, open our minds, our ears to hear what it is that your spirit would have to say to us today. I ask for your help, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to this congregation and speak to me as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's text really contains three key principles communicated by three key terms. Three key principles communicated by three key terms. And the three key terms are these, sovereignty in verse 28, diversity in verses 28 through 30, and priority in verse 28 and the first part of verse 31. Sovereignty, diversity, priority. So let's take a look at the first of these, sovereignty in verse 28. And we read in that particular verse, it says, and God has appointed, everybody say that word with me, appointed. In the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. God has appointed. Appointed comes from the Greek word tithemi, which literally means to set, fix, establish, or ordain. And to be honest with you, this word appointed is actually a bit painful for me. You see, it was my desire in high school, and some of you know this story, to receive an appointment to the United States Air Force Academy. I jumped through a lot of hoops, worked very hard to attain this goal, but at the end of the day, I did not receive an appointment to the academy. And the truth of the matter is that I couldn't just pack my suitcase, show up um, on the doorstep of Colorado Springs, and report for duty. I couldn't appoint myself, no matter how badly I wanted to. You see, an appointment had to come from someone who had the proper authority, right? I couldn't appoint myself to the academy. The academy had to appoint me. At the end of the day, God had a very different appointment for my life, and I'm very grateful for that. But the point is that God sovereignly appoints each and every part of the body of Christ. And he has done so by giving you and by giving me very specific spiritual gifts. And he has appointed these. He is the one in the position of authority who appoints you with certain spiritual gifts. This has been emphasized on two other occasions in chapter 12. First in verse 11, 
where it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He appoints based on how He wills. And then in verse 18, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. God wills, God chooses, God appoints. And so three times in this chapter, Paul is very intentional about reminding the Corinthians, and he reminds us that it is God who is in charge of the spiritual gifts. He, in his wisdom and in his goodness, will appoint them to us. We cannot appoint them to ourselves any more than I could just show up at Colorado Springs and appoint myself to the United States Air Force Academy. He knows what is best, and he will assign these gifts. He will appoint them accordingly. So that is the first key term in our passage, sovereignty. God chooses, he wills, he appoints spiritual gifts. The next term in the passage is diversity. And again, we keep cycling back to this because, um, again, if we think about the original context, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, they were singling out certain spiritual gifts and saying, these are most important and everything else doesn't really matter. And if you don't have certain spiritual gifts, you are less than someone else who does. And so that's why Paul keeps coming back to this idea of diversity and saying, hey, we got to appreciate each other for who God has made us to be and all of the gifts matter. He once again compares the great variety of parts in the body of Christ to the parts of the human body. And as we mentioned two weeks ago, there are four places in Scripture, four places in the New Testament that give us lists of spiritual gifts. The first is Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. The second is 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, that passage that we've already covered. The next is today's passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and then fourth is Ephesians 4, 11. And today, as we take a look at verse 28, we notice some interesting things, that if we take kind of that 30,000-foot view from afar, we see the structure and we see some important things about what Paul's trying to teach us. First of all, Paul repeats some of the gifts that he listed earlier in verses 7 through 10. So I'm going to show these with green, okay? The, the, the gifts that are highlighted in green are gifts that Paul has already mentioned in verses 7 through 10, and we've already covered. We defined them. We talked about them. These include prophets, miracles, gifts of healing, and various kinds of tongues. But now, in today's text, verse 28, he adds four new gifts to this list that were not in the earlier list. And these we're going to highlight in yellow, all right, And so these include apostles, teachers, helping, and administrating. And so just as we did in verses 7 through 10, let's take a few moments to define each one of these specific gifts, the ones that are in yellow, because we haven't covered them yet. Apostles, teachers, helping, and administrating. And so the first gift that is mentioned is apostles. And this word comes from the Greek apostolos, and it literally means ones who are sent on a mission. Ones who are sent on a mission. These are messengers with a a divine task. And so we find this word used in two different senses in the New Testament. And here's where I think a lot of confusion results and a lot of debate ensues about the gift of apostleship. It's used in two different ways in the New Testament. First of all, we have the 12 apostles. 
right? We have the 12 apostles, those that Jesus chose and he trained for three years for a very specific calling and a very specific task. And I'm going to refer to these apostles as apostles with a capital A, apostles with a capital A, because this is a unique office and calling, and it is not to be repeated. That is a special group of people all into themselves. Now, as we know, in the story of the 12 apostles, um, we subtract Judas, we add Matthias, and I believe we also add the Apostle Paul, who refers to himself as one who has the authority of the original apostles. So in this first usage of apostle in the New Testament, apostle with a capital A, this is the, the category that we're looking at. However, the New Testament also refers to apostles in a more generic sense. And I'm going to call these apostles with a lowercase a. And they include people such as Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14, 14, James in Galatians 1, 19, Silas and Timothy in 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. And perhaps, although it's a little shakier evidence in Romans 16, 7, Andronicus and Junius. And so you could look that one up, check it. It's a little bit more doubtful, but some people look at that passage and say, hey, they were apostles with a small a as well. Again, distinct from the 12, these are apostles with a lowercase a, most likely signifying that they have the spiritual gift of apostleship. They are ones who had been sent on a mission. These are your church planters, your missionaries, your ministry pioneers, gifted to take the gospel into new territories. These are your restless ones, your movers and shakers in the kingdom of God who are on the leading edge of what God is doing. And so I believe that this word apostles here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the apostle Paul is referring to the spiritual gift of apostleship with the lowercase a. And as I revealed several weeks ago, as I am a continuationist, I believe that this is a gift that is still in effect today. God still appoints people to take the gospel into new territories and to begin new works, whether that be as church planters or missionaries or some other sense of being a missionary, a ministry pioneer. God still commissions sent ones. And so that is the first of the gifts listed. The next is teachers. Teachers. And let's look at again at our text as a whole. We're looking at again the yellow apostles, teachers, helping administrating. Teachers comes from the Greek didaskalos. And do you know what didaskalos literally means? Teacher. <laughs> These are people specifically gifted in studying the scriptures, interpreting them, and instructing the church with them. The goal of teaching is to bring the church to spiritual maturity. Teachers feed the sheep. And I would say that the best of teachers are those who teach the sheep to feed themselves. And it's a weighty gift to be a teacher. It has much responsibility as communicated in James chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, why would that be? Why are teachers judged with greater strictness? Well, because the teacher will either lead the sheep, the flock, the congregation into truth or into falsehood. You know, it's interesting that the gift of teaching is the only spiritual gift required of elders. The only one. 
the gift of teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. All of the other qualifications of elders are character-based. The only gift required for eldership is the gift of teaching. Every elder must be able to study, interpret, and apply the Word of God. Not necessarily in delivering a sermon, but to be able to sit down over a cup of coffee or in a small group or in a class and to be able to communicate God's Word. One of the great blessings, I believe, of this church for decade after decade after decade is the long history of gifted teachers who have led this congregation into truth, and I believe that God has blessed this congregation because of its focus on truth. Um, We are a church that for many years has recognized the importance of the gift of teaching. Next on the list of gifts that have not yet been covered is the gift of helping. Helping, and this comes from the Greek word Antilimpsis, antilimpsis. And this is practical assistance of all kinds. And I just want to give a shout out this morning to those who have this particular gift. These are folks who are unafraid of hard work and of getting dirty. They are your whatever it takes kind of people who serve so very faithfully, often behind the scenes. My wife is one with this particular spiritual gift, and she does such a wonderful job with that among so many others of you. C.H. Spurgeon described those with gift of helps as they're those moved by the natural impulse and the divine life within them to do anything and everything which would assist either teacher, pastor, or deacon in the work of the Lord. They're the sort of brethren who are useful anywhere, who can always stop a gap, and who are only too glad when they find that they can make themselves serviceable to the church of God in any capacity whatever." Talk about an important gift. um, These are the people who keep the church moving. It's one thing to have teaching. It's one thing to have vision. It's one thing to have ideas. It's another thing to bring those to fruition. And people with the gift of helps, they keep the church moving. One of the dangers, I think, for people with the gift of helps is perhaps they feel less than those with more visible gifts and more dramatic gifts But I just, again, want to affirm those of you with the gift of helps, how important and crucial they really are. I find it interesting that as we look at Paul's list as a whole, once again looking at uh, this section, um, the gift of helps is right smack dab in the middle between healing and administrating in various kinds of tongues. Paul puts it right there in the middle of it all. I believe he was being intentional in communicating the importance of this gift. All right, next gift, administrating. Administrating comes from the Greek kubernetes, kubernetes, which means literally, this is interesting, to steer or pilot a ship. To steer or pilot a ship. It refers to one who keeps a ship or a church on course towards its proper destination. Commentator David Pryor said it this way. He says, the helmsman knew well the capabilities of both the craft and the crew. He knew which expertise to call on at which moment. The most effective helmsman had a quiet confidence and an immediate rapport with the crew. He neither panicked nor relaxed his vigilance. He had his eye on the destination and was above all concerned that his ship and his crew reached journey's end safe and sound. So in our culture, in our vernacular, this is probably more accurately called the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership. Those with this gift are able to mobilize and motivate and direct others toward a destination. And in spiritual leadership, in the case of the church, it's mobilizing, motivating, and directing people in the direction that God has called our church. And so those are the definitions of the spiritual gifts that we have not yet covered in the list that Paul gives us today. 
As we look again at the list, we see apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. And then Paul goes out of his way to once again emphasize the diversity of the gifts. Look at verse 29. He says, are all apostles? What's the answer to that question? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You guys are good. You guys are good. No. Not everyone has every single gift. Why? Because God in His wisdom and His goodness, He designed us to be a body. With all individual parts being necessary and interdependent, with much variety meant to operate in unity like the Trinity. Because when we operate that way and the world watches, uh, this is what happens. God is glorified. The church is edified. Good triumphs over evil and believers live full or abundant lives. And so God made it so that we need each other. We're designed to be interdependent with one another. Now, the principle of diversity is a necessary correction to a common theological error regarding tongues. In certain traditions, it is taught that the gift of tongues is evidence that one has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you actually have this experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit, then you will speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, then clearly you haven't been, and you need to seek that. Therefore, everyone could and really should speak in tongues. But that simply is not consistent with what we just read, is it? It is not. Paul would reject that line of thinking altogether. And so the point is this. Tongues is one of many diverse spiritual gifts that are sovereignly appointed by God. Tongues is one of many diverse spiritual gifts that are sovereignly appointed by God. Now, our tendency as Baptists is to go to the other extreme and say, well, we reject that idea that everybody should, be, should speak in tongues, therefore, no one will. And again, that's not what Paul teaches here either. And we'll talk about this much more when we get to chapter 14. Okay, so three key terms, sovereignty, diversity. We move on to number three, which is priority. And this is where it gets a little bit dicey. But actually, as I studied this passage and soaked in it this week, this came, it was like the clouds parted and it's like, I get that now. I'm not sure I did before. And so I want to share that with you this morning. Priority. For while it is true that every part of the body is important and necessary, please hear me say that. Every part of the body is important and necessary. The body will not be all that it should be without every part of the body doing its part. There are, in fact, some parts of the body that do receive some special priority. Nobody wants to live without a leg, right? But you can live without a leg right? You'll just limp. You won't be able to walk or to run the way that you could if you had two healthy legs. Nobody wants to live without an ear, but you can, right? There's just going to be a consequence for that. You're not going to hear as well as you could or should. What about a heart? Hard to live without a heart, isn't it? All right, isn't it interesting that, you know, for, for police officers, they wear vests, right, that cover, and maybe a helmet if you're part of a SWAT thing. They cover these essential parts, the brain, the heart, the organs. All of the parts are important, but there, are, there is some priority assigned to certain parts. 
And I believe that that priority in the church is communicated in today's text. So let's go back to verse 28. It's interesting. I don't know if you noticed how Paul goes to explain this, but he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrating in various kinds of tongues. So Paul speaks here in terms of first, second, third. What is that about? What did he mean by this? And there are two primary lines of thinking. First, there are those who believe that Paul is referring to chronology. Chronology, meaning that apostles, prophets, and teachers represent the, the natural order of gifts used in church planting. All right, so the scenario is this. They get apostles show up, and they pioneer a new work in a new place, and prophets assist them by being tuned in to God's voice as he gives direction to this new work. And then upon this foundation, teachers use their gift to bring this newborn congregation to maturity through the instruction in the Scriptures. Now, in an ultimate sense, this is what happened after Pentecost. The church was birthed at Pentecost, it was then taken by the apostles with a capital A and planted, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and I'm going to even call this the church with a big C, the church universal, birthed at Pentecost, scattered and spread and planted by the apostles with the big A. Ephesians 2, 20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so I believe that this is referring in an ultimate sense to the fact that the universal church was founded on the foundation of the apostles with a capital A, but in a practical sense, even today, this is how it works. New churches are built upon the foundation of those gifted in apostleship and prophecy, while teachers then come and use their gifts to bring a newborn congregation to maturity. So that's one line of thinking when it comes to what's Paul talking about when he says first, second, third? He's, he's talking about chronology. Now, cessationists would use that and say, built on the apostles and the prophets, that's done. And again, in a sense, it is done because apostles with a capital A, they did their job, but the work continues on today, does it not? Next, the line of thinking when it comes to first, second, and third is priority. That there is, in fact, a certain priority given to the body parts, the spiritual gifts of apostleship, prophecy, and teaching. So just as in the human body, there is a certain priority given to parts such as the heart, the lungs, the brain, so it is in this case when it comes to gifts of apostleship, prophecy, and teaching. And so in this case, apostles, prophets, and teachers represent, well, I don't like this verbiage, but I used it, a top tier, if you will, of spiritual gifts. Again, all of the parts are valuable. You don't want to live without an ear. You don't want to live without a leg. All of the gifts are important. Paul has gone to great lengths to communicate this. And the body will always be less than it could be and should be if all of the parts are not functioning as they are intended. But apostles, prophets, and teachers like the brain, heart, lungs are absolutely essential. So which is it? Is it chronology or priority, which is Paul talking about here? I think both are absolutely accurate. 
But I don't think there's any way getting around the fact that Paul's emphasis here is on priority. Why do I say that? Well, primarily because of verse 31. Paul says this, short little impactful verse, which says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Huh. Paul makes a distinction here, doesn't he, between higher gifts, and I don't want to say lower gifts, again, because that's a, but another tier, another level of gifts. Apparently, there is a higher tier, and then there is another tier. And this is further supported when we get there in chapter 14, verse 1, where Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. Again, Paul puts prophecy in a different category, a higher tier of spiritual gifts. And what is noteworthy is that as Paul writes to his Corinthian audience who had so overemphasized the gift of tongues to the detriment of all the other gifts, where does Paul place tongues in his list? It's actually last. Now again, let's not take that too far and say, well, then tongues don't matter. We'll see again in verse 14, Paul says, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. All right, so that's not the message here, but I think this is another subtle way for Paul in speaking to the Corinthians who had so overemphasized tongues to say, hey, just so you know, the diversity of the body of Christ, and there is a certain priority, and the priority is not tongues. The priority is apostles, teachers, and prophets. So, as we talk about the priority of gifts, we go back to verse 31. Paul gives an instruction there an instruction which might take us off guard at first. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire. And again, let's look at 14.1 again. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Does that conflict with today's principle number one of God's sovereignty? So if God sovereignly gives the gifts, he chooses as he wills, he appoints, why would I even bother to desire higher gifts of apostleship, prophecy, and teaching? Why would I desire them if God gives them sovereignly? Well, do you pray? Do you bring your request before the Lord to a sovereign God? You do, right? Same principle. It does not conflict. If God's sovereignty in the gifts is true, there is no conflict here whatsoever. While God sovereignly appoints every spiritual gift as he wills, he is pleased with our desire to be on the leading edge of his kingdom work through the higher gifts of apostleship, prophecy, and teaching. And it just may be, as it is in prayer, God is sovereign, but we bring our request to a sovereign God that he would honor your earnest desire and your earnest asking, that he would fulfill your request for these gifts. If not, just as we do in prayer, we rest in his sovereignty and joyfully exercise our gifts that he has given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit to their fullest extent. All right, so we pray to it. We bring our request to a sovereign God. God wills and chooses as we pray. We do the same thing when it comes to spiritual gifts. Ultimately, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, but, but not my will, but your will be done. So those are three key principles communicated by three, three, three key terms in today's passage. Sovereignty, diversity, 
and priority. Let's finish with application and asking the question, how should we then live? First, number one, three questions. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know your part in the body of Christ? And again, I don't want to put this in such terms that you feel like you have to give really clear, distinct labels. Because as we've talked about before, I believe that these lists of gifts tend to be representative more than they tend to be exhaustive because the four lists are each different. The point is, do you know your place? Do you know what body part you are and how you are to function in the body of Christ, regardless of what label you would give that? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Because I hope you get the point by this time that it's so very, very important. And one of the most important things I can do as a pastor that we can do for you as a church is to help you discover your spiritual gifts and your place in the body of Christ. Because remember, if you don't exercise all of your spiritual gifts, here are the consequences. You will miss out on the fullness or abundance of life, and the church will limp along because of the key role that you are yet to play is unfulfilled. What should you do if you don't know your spiritual gifts? Number one, ask the Father. Do you think He wants you to know your spiritual gifts? Absolutely, He wants you to know your spiritual gifts. Ask the Father. More than anyone, he wants you to know your gifts, and he is exceedingly pleased to reveal them to you. And one way that he may reveal them to you as you ask him is ask the community of faith. Ask your brothers and sisters, those who know you well, where do I fit? What do you see? How am I gifted? How can I best serve, do you believe, the body of Christ? And I believe that God speaks through community. He affirms gifts in community. But the point is, you have to be in community in order for that to happen. Church is a team sport. You can watch a sermon online, but you cannot do church online. Amen? Because church, by definition, the ecclesia, the called out, church by definition is community. And I would go so far as to say you can show up here on Sunday morning and not be in community. And as you deepen relationships in community, your brothers and sisters will be able to provide insight and wisdom regarding your spiritual giftedness. We'll talk much more about the role of community in our Fullness of Life series in the weeks to come. Here, it is a component to discovering your spiritual gifts. So ask the Father and ask the community of faith. But to do so, you must be living in koinonia, fellowship, community in the body of Christ. Next, number two, second question, are you exercising these gifts to their fullest potential? It's one thing to know your gifts. The book of James tells us that we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. We're meant not only to discover our gifts, but to exercise them. Gifts that are discovered but not exercised are a great tragedy. And I think of that um, parable of the talents and those who were good stewards, those who were poor stewards, and the harsh words that Jesus has for the poor steward and the words of affirmation and blessing for the good stewards. For when this happens, when we don't exercise our gifts, again, here's the flip side of that green slide. God is not glorified. The church is not edified. Good does not triumph over evil. And believers do not live full or abundant lives. That's a lot of bad stuff that happens when we don't exercise our spiritual gifts. And one of Satan's greatest strategies is to make us way too busy 
to do what God has primarily created us to do in exercising our spiritual gifts. And we must, as a church, be countercultural and reject this busyness and place priority on exercising our gifts to their fullest potential. And then lastly, question three. Are you earnestly desiring the higher gifts? And again, as I understand the text, the higher gifts are apostleship, prophecy, and teaching. And as it says in chapter 14, especially the gift of prophecy. And if you have questions about prophecy, again, we'll talk about it much, much more in chapter 14. As you ask the Father about your spiritual gifts, would you be so bold as to ask Him to earnestly, earnestly desire, it says, to ask Him specifically for these gifts with the humble desire to be one on the leading edge of what God is doing in His kingdom, but also with a humble sense of surrender that is willing to joyfully receive whatever gifts God has sovereignly chosen to give you for His glory and for the good of the church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for those moments when the clouds part and there is clarity and there is uh, understanding, there's illumination. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and his ministry in that way. I pray that that has happened for many this morning, and I pray that you would lead us and guide us into a deeper walk with you, a walk where for, perhaps for some, when I say, ask the Father about spiritual gifts, that sounds so odd and so foreign to them. And yet, God, I believe with all my heart that that's to be normal. You have come for relationship with your people. And an important part of relationship is communication. And you want to speak into our lives. You want us to be able to hear your still small voice. And so, God, I pray that you would raise us up as your people to relate to you in that way. And, God, that you would raise us up as a church to excel in the exercise of each and every spiritual gift that you've given to us. Thank you for the gifts. May we grow more and more in effectiveness and efficiency in using those gifts for your glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.